Wow! Hello and welcome to the Abroad Japan podcast, probably the best way of learning about life in Japan without actually being in Japan. I'm your host, Chris Broad, and we're joined, as always, by England's top Japan enthusiast, Mr. Pete Donaldson. Pete, how the devil are you doing? I'm good. I'm having um, pineapple for breakfast and you can't stop me. Tin pineapple. <laughs> it's one of those kind of, um, one of those food box services where they, um, they just send you like a lot of uh. cooking uh, bits and you're like, oh God, this is really intense, really technically kind of involved you got to kind of do, like there's 15 ingredients that you got to prepare i'm like bloody 50. hell is this what like, 15 there's probably like like so much little bits and bobs you got to put together Stuff and i'm like so that. lazy um so, but what i didn't know um was that they um they, they sent me an extra pineapple slices uh, tin so that's what <laughs> i'm having for me breakfast mate tin pineapple it's quite, it's quite a sight watching pete donaldson haul pieces of pineapple chunks out of a tin this it's is like sexy a, is what it is. The foremost football commentator in the entire planet, and he's just sitting in a room, swiveling in a chair with a tattered backdrop, eating pineapples <laughs> out of a tin. Like I'm still waiting for your upholstery. My upholstery.co.uk has let me down once again. <laughs> they will not be advertising on this bloody channel because <laughs> they have let me down. They just they they said five to seven business days, and we're on the lip of the seventh day. Quite frankly, they are taking their time. They are dragging their fabricated heels it's very upsetting chris excuses is all i'm hearing (laughs) pete but uh i got some cool news i think it's i think it's news is it news so i decided recently i don't know if you've seen but to celebrate the uh the tokyo olympics google brought out the most amazing little 16-bit game or it might be 8-bit i think it's 16-bit 16-bit game um you know on the google homepage where you have the the Mm. doodle they call it google doodle uh where the logo is occasionally when there's an event they'll change it and have things there for the Olympics, they've actually created this incredible 16-bit Japanese-style video game uh, that looks like it's straight out of the 80s, but it's so slick and polished and fun. There's lots of mini-games. And I I sort of clicked on it and started playing around. And I, was, I, I looked up at the clock and like an hour and a half had gone by. Love it. Highly recommend checking <laughs> it out. The life seen of it? a YouTuber. <laughs> it is. I haven't, it actually. Is. I saw you tweet about it. I Pineapple saw you man. Um, soliciting for, uh, for, for um, people who did uh, video game uh, yeah, companies. Yeah, so... So after playing this, I thought this would be really cool to do something like this with Journey Across Japan. I think, I just, I don't know, I, I, I've never thought about making a video game before, and I'm not pretending like I'm making it myself. But after I played it for a bit, I thought we could do something similar to this. Like mm. we could make a 16-bit retro uh, game, either for consoles or for smartphones, that's called like Journey Across Japan. We have Natsuki as the main character. He's got a race across the country to save me from real, the evil risotto or something. I don't know. <laughs> but like, I just love the idea of doing like a journey across Japan video game. And um, I don't know. So I, I put out a, a post on Twitter and sort of asked if there's any video games or people that are developers that are interested. And uh, yeah, we got a lot of res- a pretty big response. Got like 50 emails mm. to work my way cool. through. Lots of artists, designers, some pretty impressive companies uh, in and out of Japan. So Before very exciting. Artists. Yeah. Voice oh, look at it. Oh, Chris. You'll be too busy eating your pineapples. Unbelievable. Every, every <laughs> week we mention what is Pete's dream. What is Pete's little dream? <laughs> to have a little 
no speaking part in a video game. And now this just <laughs> falls in your lap and you forget old Daddy Donaldson stuck in his unlovable little <laughs> upholsteryless little ho- hovel. <laughs> dying. Think... I am dying. What do you think though? Like, what can we do with the video game? Voiceover. Look, voiceover. With all, as with all vanity projects, (laughs) (laughs) I very much think it's an excellent idea, and you should do it because um, it keeps you off the streets, keeps you busy, and it gives you. But but I do I do worry that you you're not going to be doing the work because. Well, I mean, it's difficult. No, I'm not. You literally can't. You don't have the training, but it takes a very long time to make video games. It you've just got five, takes a very long time. You've got five hundred dollars and two weeks. Make it happen, <laughs> a Donny a Donaldson uh, game jam. Oh, I'll get on. Uh, I'll get on Unreal. I'll get on Unreal tournament. <laughs> uh, I think my last bit of video game development was Unreal tournament. Made a level in that of my uh, student house. <laughs> oh god, that's kind of cool. I don't know. I I feel like sixteen bit would be the way to go because you could still mm. deliver like a premium feeling game, right? Mm. Uh, for a reasonable price. And I don't think we could have like a 3D game that's good for that price point, or a, a 3D game that would work. Really, it's got to be 2D. Why don't you? Why don't you? Um, a, a friend of a friend is uh, currently making uh, a really horrible map of London in Duke Nukem <laughs> 3D. Um, the Fear Engine, or the I can't remember what, what engine it's called, but it was um, it was what it was kind of the the game engine that that. Um, sort of crossed the barrier between Doom and Quake. It had this weird kind of 2.5D kind of style to it. It wasn't, you could go up and down stairs and stuff, but it it wasn't really true 3D. It was, I don't really know what didn't make it to like 3D (laughs) and 2D, but it was, it was, it was weird. Very Mm. weird. Um, And, uh, but, but very um, anarchic. It sort of lent itself to like some very anarchic bloody games. Um, So uh, he's putting like a Pret-a-Manger and a Prius and he was asking for what's the trash that you see in the, in the street in London these days. Uh, And people were obviously saying that, you know, um, discarded blue um, surgical masks. masks. I suggested uh, nourishment, cans of nourishment. Do you remember that? Oh God. It was like a Nestle kind of meal replacement that, uh, that drug addicts used to drink. <laughs> that stuff was terrible. It oh, was God. all right. Oh. It was colourful and pink, and it was a meal replacement. I used to, I used to absolutely slam them. That, that and peanut punch. Beautiful. Bigger juice, fantastic. <laughs> it's the stuff you only see in London. Bigger juice, peanut punch, uh, and uh, like egg, like sort of carton, small kind of Capri Sun-sized um, eggnog and uh, <laughs> cherry wine. <laughs> It's beautiful. You're painting a very bleak, a very bleak picture of of central London. Lovely. (laughs) Good God, that sounds cool though. I I don't know. I I do want to make this happen though. I'm serious about it. Like uh, Mm, my philosophy though, either we we pull this off, we go the whole hog and make a great game, or we don't do it at all. So going to enter talks with some video game companies, fund it through abroad in Japan, and then maybe if it gets to a certain point, use crowdfunding to sort of take it to the final stage. Um, Mm. We'll see. I don't know anything about video games and so i've got to sort of educate mm. myself quickly on the world of video game production but it's a fun little challenge am i at my depth Des- definitely but not, not in the slightest there's i i had um a, a night out in kyoto with a friend <laughs> who took me to um like a like a couple of games it was like it wasn't a game jam but it was like a, a load of um uh, sort of gaijin developers who live in mm. Kyoto. Obviously, a lot of the devs are in, in Kyoto. Yeah, yeah. Um, they were they were all in this kind of um, party, slightly fancy dress and stuff. And I was like, um, 
I had a lovely night. Everyone was bloody lovely. I met loads of like um, composers and stuff who who were doing this and that and uh, and programmers and things. It was it was really really fascinating. And it's kind of like you don't see that side of Japan very often. You don't see mm. um, kind of be- like not like small scale developers who make you know quite quite simple not simplistic but you know what i mean like uh simplistic. you know quite re- like retro looking style. games i suppose yeah, yeah, yeah well not like not like not as in not a triple a AAA kind of experiences no, and you no, don't yeah. see that sort of thing too often coming out of japan you don't hear those uh, kind of voices often enough in my opinion and uh yeah cool Exciting. i think well, kyoto is definitely the epicenter of a lot of the mm. cool indie ga- indie video game developers in the country um mainly because nintendo are there of course and that's where mm. they all kicked off shop. But uh, yeah, I'm going to see what happens. If you guys have any ideas on what you'd like to see on the, in the uh, Journey Across Japan video game, I'm all ears. But I definitely think Natsuki should be the main playable character because it's mm. not going to be me. I wouldn't ever want to play <laughs> me. Natsuki look, would look if cool, you can though, secure his, If you can secure his imaging rights, that would be absolutely <laughs> fine. <laughs> I own him. He's mine. Oh, God, it'd be sweary. God, it'd be sweary. There'd be a lot Becky of swearing 18. and there'd be a lot of cigarettes. But it would be cool. It'd be very cool. We've got Nasty's a story. Big fag adventure where he's just getting, <laughs> grabbing as many tabs as possible. Uh, well, instead of like hearts, it would be cigarettes, wouldn't it? As a power. Yeah, yeah. That's the sad bags. truth. That is the sad truth. Uh, like a rock guitar. Maybe we can go for a punk angle. We have, uh, we've got a story from Hermani from Sweden. He says, hi, guys. I had many memorable encounters and experiences during my first visit to Japan in t- 2006. However, this story in particular is about when I happened to find a 5,000 yen bill on the street. Wow, it's $50. It's a lot of money. I think the most I've ever found is 500 yen. Uh, I was walking down the street with my friend back to our hostel when I almost stepped on said note. I picked it up and we decided that the best course of action would be to hand it over to the closest police box. Um, Wow, that's very noble and very un-British. He's from Sweden. (laughs) is from Sweden. Um, Once we somehow managed to explain that we had found the money just down the street, the police officers looked at each other with a worried look without saying anything to us. I was starting to get nervous about what that look meant and whether we had done the right thing. Uh, One of the officers thought it was a bribe. bribe. (laughs) It's 50 quid. Let me do a crime. Definitely a bribe. (laughs) One of the officers picked up a phone and after a few rings started speaking in rapid Japanese to someone on the other end. Uh, after some time, he turned to me with the phone in his hand, pointing towards me, saying, Interpol, the, the global police organisation. I was at this point almost sure we were in trouble and nervously took the phone and put it to my ear. The man on the other end explained in flawless English that since we had found the money, we are legally allowed to claim it if no one comes to pick it up within 30 days. And thus the police officers were wondering if we'd like them, uh, if we'd like to give them our contact information, if we'd like to exercise this right. I explained to the person on the other end that we were only there for three weeks and we'd wave, uh, it would be okay to waive this right. Turns out the call to Interpol was to translate from Japanese to English. Uh, I wonder if they'd simply use Google Translate these days. On our way out of the police station, after being thanked profusely, we turned back one last time to see that all the officers were bowing deeply in our direction without even looking at us. Best regards, guys. Keep up the awesome work. Himani from Sweden, an honourable Swede. Oh. What a beautiful story. I, I would have liked conclusion. if I would have liked if they looked back at the uh, caban, looked at the police officers, and they were dancing. 
<laughs> and they were on the way at the Seven Eleven with a big bottle of whiskey under their arm. <laughs> I think yeah. that's, a, that's that's fantastic. That's I saw nice. a really that gives you a that gives you look. What are you going to spend for fifty? What is that? Thirty five quid, forty quid? Like, what are you going to get for out. that? That's going to fill. That's going to fill your heart with joy. Like, that what is, are you going to? No, that is a solid Nomi Hordai or you can drink session with some yakitori <laughs> chicken skewers thrown in. That's about no, five thousand yen a head. So. Yeah, okay. I'll just spend it on. Right. How do you spend <laughs> your you five thousand yen? <laughs> I just got uh, um, the newsagent and buy a load of magazines. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear! I don't know. Oh dear! Oh dear! Oh dear! What a beautiful story! But um, yeah, I remember there was. Um, I think we read out a story a few years ago where there was a convention and somebody put down like a hundred yen on the side near the entrance, and they sort of did it as a test to see if someone would take the money. And then mm. they came back two hours later on while walking around the convention. They sort of came back and there was like a pile of money uh, of like 100 yens, 50 yens, 10 yens that people just put on it because people had just assumed it was some sort of, I don't know, like a, Jap- like a Japanese thing. temple almost, <laughs> some sort of ritual. Uh, oh, it's beautiful. It's yeah. completely opposite to what I know and what I've raised to experience in the UK. But uh, <laughs> You should do more. like a kind of how to make more money uh, kind of those Facebook videos you see <laughs> about those guys in like nice houses with the Maseratis and they sort of go in uh, they sort of go, hey, this is how you make a million dollars a day <laughs> with my uh, with my new kind of uh, Ponzi scheme or whatever. But it's really just leaving some money in the street and it's just more money just <laughs> arrives. It's crazy. Well, seriously, imagine <laughs> if you'd done this, this person that had left the 100 yen at the convention at the entrance mm. and then come back to a pile of money. You just swiped <laughs> it's it all. It's confusing, yeah. Exactly. Just interest. There's more interest there than most bloody <laughs> banks give these days. It's incredible. Yeah, um, I'm right. There you go. Uh, but one thing that's not incredible is drunk droning. We've all heard of drunk driving. Have you heard of drunk droning? No. Uh, this is an arrest, the first of its kind in Aichi Prefecture uh, in the Nagoya area. So, like... Drones are everywhere these days. As we talked about in last week's episode, the opening ceremony for the Olympics involved thousands of drones in the sky, creating an incredible globe, which Pete was underwhelmed by, even though everyone else <laughs> loved it. Why were you underwhelmed, Pete? Why didn't you love it? Uh, very, very wasteful. Wasteful? <laughs> All that, it, drones energy. in the shape of a globe, Pete. Drones in the shape of a globe. <laughs> Retweeted everywhere. Imagine if, you, imagine if you kind of... If you were in charge of like charging all the drones up at like ten, you just didn't have. It. I was like, oh, for crying out loud, this is gonna. <laughs> and I just say, like, I just didn't charge it up overnight. Now I'm in big trouble because that's gonna. That's got rid of Taiwan. That's gonna create an international incident. Oh, God, that's we've oh, lost. We've lost a bit of Nepal. Shit. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> oh good God. Well, luckily these drones that we uh, that we witnessed over the Olympic Stadium just last week were not operated by a drunkard. Unlike oh. <laughs> unlike what happened in IT Prefecture this week, a 56-year-old man became the first in the prefecture to get busted for violating the newly enacted law against flying a drone while intoxicated in Toyota City. Ooh. And Toyota City, if you're wondering if Toyota's based there, yes, Toyota City is just Toyota. The, co- the, the company's so big, they've literally got a city in a slice of IT Prefecture. Um, in Toyota City, the suspect consumed eight cans of beer between the hours of 7 a.m. and noon. Uh, interestingly enough, all that morning he he was drinking uh, and he was motivated to start cleaning his room. While tidying, he happened upon a drone which he'd bought a few years ago. He took it out of the box to see if it still worked. Upon learning that he did, the drunken suspect abandoned his cleaning ambitions and took it for a spin. 
the drone weighs 540 grams. It collided with the window of a nearby residence. The neighbour then called the police. The police came round and found he was drunk and flying a drone while inebriated. And to be fair, as somebody who flies drones quite often for videos, they're pretty bloody dangerous. Like I nearly chopped my fingers off once. Well, the, the first day I bought a drone, I nearly sliced off all my fingers. It's, it's... I let you, I, I, you let me rather um, have a have a have a mess around with your drone uh, on the roof of a, an abandoned wedding chapel, and uh, oh, yeah. uh, it was a very windy day, and it kept saying <laughs> your phone kept saying very windy, coming down now. I was like, I've just started, guys. <laughs> let me do a loop de loop. <laughs> I'm amazed we pulled that off. That was the um, the opening drone shots for the tsunami documentary that came out last year. Mm. And I remember it was quite a windy day, and we just bought the Mavic Mini, which is a very lightweight drone. It's 199 grams, very lightweight, and it just kept <laughs> it, it got blown away by the wind. And I had to sort of veer it over and use like special dive bomb tactics to sort of get it back to us before it got blown away. <laughs> but uh, they're they're pretty dangerous drones. Like if one slammed into your face, you're gonna you're potentially gonna have life altering injuries because they travel like 40 up to 40 sort of miles per hour. Some of the bigger ones. And, and you put knives on yours because you did Robert Watts. <laughs> <laughs> can, to be fair. You can never leave it behind. <laughs> if the TV series Robot Wars was brought to the modern era, it'd be a very different I, Robot Wars. Imagine just getting like a little claw hammer attached to a drone if you could pick it up on, on a on a rope and just <laughs> go around a 7-Eleven knocking shit out of everything. <laughs> that would be a really good TV show, wouldn't it? Drone Wars. Yeah. Just attach yeah. some like, weapons to a the drone hammer. and fly it around. <laughs> That'd be well good. Up stuff. Yeah, Why has exactly. no one done that yet? It sounds Why like no a, one done that yet? Sounds like a Top Gear episode that has yet to happen. Have like, have like, so like, just have a have a, have a supermarket, Seven Eleven, the, the yeah. same uh, makeup, the same products, in a warehouse. So there's no ceiling, so the, the drone's not going to hit anything. And you've just got to go around and just you know, like supermarket sweep, but you've got to collect or smash up um, the most valuable <laughs> stuff. And this and the and the um, people who run the supermarket or this virtual supermarket <laughs> for our television purposes have to throw those little orange balls that explode uh, with oh, ink on yeah. them. At the at the drones to knock them out the sky, and you've got to avoid it. Come on, Telly! I've still never seen these. I've still never seen these orange balls that they have at Japanese convenience stores, which they throw Mm. at people that are stealing things, and then cover them in paint. Right? They explode, cover them in paint, and then police officers can see them. I bet you want to bite one. (laughs) I just want to just grab one one. and just go, bite the (laughs) glassy orangey ink, and just be orange man. (laughs) I wonder what goes through your thoughts sometimes. You know when something's just so fra- it's a fragile little glassy membrane because you know they throw them and they hit the the, the ground and, and it splashes this indelible ink and I imagine just biting into it and the ink could be on your skin for years and Eat and, some and you'd be you'd be <laughs> you'd candy be carried out by the police with with with, with manacles uh, <laughs> around your back and, and 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 you'd just be orange and you'd be in the news because it's the guy who. Bit the forbid, forbidden orange. Oh, lovely. <laughs> the forbidden orange. The naughty orange. <laughs> naughty peach. <laughs> you thought about this too much. This, oh, yeah. I have indeed. What do you think, though? <laughs> 540 grams of terror slamming into your face. Like when I got my first drone. Yeah. So these drones, right? To land them, you have to sort of be step, you have to step away from it. And I remember my first drone, I did something very, very stupid. It was the Mavic Air. I got it home to my apartment and I wanted to just see how it takes off right. So I took it off in my apartment. I regret this immensely. <laughs> but, you know, I thought it just it would just hover a meter off the floor. And it did. And it hovered fine. Didn't damage my apartment. Um, but then for some reason it didn't land. So what you're supposed to do when you land a drone is you hold the stick down for about two to right. three seconds and then it will start to lower down 
uh, in an automated fashion, or you press a button on the remote. But for whatever reason, I just could not get it to land. So I tried to sort of pick it out of the air and bring right. it, just sort of catch it, bring it out of the air. But because it's got sensors on the bottom, as I went to grab it, it moved away from my hand that- every time. <laughs> it was really quite impressive. I was like, oh, shit, we're all going to die one day because these drones are going to take over. So every time I went to reach for it, to grab it and bring it down, it, it, it sort of higher. moved up and jumped in the air. I thought it was by about the ground. Yeah, yeah. Right. So I got really aggressive in the end, and I sort of reached up and like did a, a jump, I sort of jumped up in the air to catch it, and mm. I grabbed it really hard and started pulling it down. And then the tops of my fingers went through the blades of the drone, and like oh, about no. three of my fingers, the tops got sliced off. Like clean oh, off. Is it really that? Is it really? It was not yes. Clean off. It was well, really that violent. Yeah, it was wow. really bad. There's blood everywhere. Oh, like no. it was like a Tarantino film. There's blood like splat all over the window. <laughs> it was really bad, and I the, I learned a lot that day. My first day flying a drone. A lot the of thing pain. that kind of surprised me, I borrowed uh, uh, the humorist Danny Wallace's uh, drone because my dad wanted to fly it, and uh, but he didn't want to buy one himself because he said he'd be embarrassed to have a drone. <laughs> um, but Danny had one sent because he, he does a bit of tech work here and there, um, and I sort of made it fly in the front room like you. But it was a, it was a toy drone, really. It was like it was right, one right. of those very very light ones, um, and so it was just it, so the, the blades. I don't think would have done me a huge amount of damage, but it just made me laugh. It was just like the, the noise is very loud. <laughs> the noise is very oh, loud. Yeah, yeah, it's it's very, very violent, and it herky jerky's up very very quickly. And you're like, oh bloody hell! Can you calm down a bit, mate? Pretty dangerous. I remember flying. You could get like a toy one, and I used to for Christmas back home every year. I'd just get my dad a drone because he likes tech. Mm. This is the guy that robot built a robot wars, for Robot Wars. Yeah. Robot, mate. <laughs> so I used to, just, and you'd get bored, any present. You buy him anything, he's like, oh, that's good, isn't it? And they just chuck it in the bin or just hide it. <laughs> so I'd always just buy him a drone and then he'd crash it in three minutes and that'd be his Christmas over. But like we, you know, we got it and we we're flying around the house and the, the family dog uh, just thought it was some sort of evil creature. And he just came out of the air, grabbed yes. it out of the air. The blades like trimmed his beard, his like dog beard, oh, but like mate. trimmed off. And then he smashed it to the ground and ripped it to shreds. And that yes. was the twenty pound the twenty pound drone destroyed in mere seconds after being taken its maiden flight. Uh, drone. That was I, I bet that was fantastic. It was <laughs> pretty fun. Power Rangers scene. It was it was pretty fun seeing a, a Schnauzer dog come running around the corner, look at the, the drone for about three <laughs> seconds, and then jump and do like a somersault in the air and snatch it out with his mouth. Impressive. <laughs> oh my god! I would. Um, I may have been delirious with tiredness and booze and the, and the rest um, at the weekend for, for the stag do, uh, but I did uh, retweet a video of a dog uh, giving the owner the eyes, giving his owner the eyes, because <laughs> um, uh, he's got. So, he just keeps on sort of like not saying anything, not moving his face or his mouth mm. or anything, mm. his muzzle, um, and he's just looking up at the. Uh... <laughs> The dog leashes. He's looking at the dog leashes and then looking back at his owner. Looking at the dog leashes, looking back at his owner. Pete Donaldson on Twitter. I've retweeted it. it. It's just joyous. This dog is trying to sort of go, please take me for a walk, without actually going, please take me for a walk. It's wonderful. <laughs> That's awesome. Dogs are smarter uh, than you think. They really are. Think, yeah. Lovely chaps. But drones. I I must drones admit baby. though, like it's it's crazy to think you can produce these just stunning shots from a drone these days. Like it really does up the quality of the videos. I'm annoyed mm. at myself in many ways. When we started this podcast in 2018, at that time I was a drone skeptic, right? I was like, ah, drones right. rubbish. And I think mm. it's because the way they were used by people was very superficial. 
Like you'd yeah. have like some douchebag doing a somersault backwards on a mountain and just filming themselves, like not showing the scenery. And so mm. I, I, I realized that and I got one. And I think there's there's scarcely been in a Boron Japan video since that doesn't contain a drone shot somewhere at some point. And like mm. it's incredible. Like if you look at Journey Across Japan, which you should definitely do, it's a great series. Uh, we're getting shots that like 10, 15 years ago, only helicopters could have got. Um, mm. and, and in fact, better than a helicopter because you can fly closer to buildings like the abandoned island, Ikishima we did. Like You could just do some incredible things with it. Mm. I think drones are amazing. I still think you've got to be careful how you use it. Don't chop your fingers off. Don't get drunk. And remember that they're not a toy. <laughs> and I do take it very seriously. And in Japan, yeah. there's a few rules. You're not allowed to fly them near airports. Makes sense. Uh, we all remember what happened at Gatwick Airport in the UK a few years ago when the whole airport got mm. shut down. Did they find that guy in there? Did they find that guy in there? And it would have been a guy. Let's make that very clear. Because uh, they're was, idiots. It was a guy called Barry in, <laughs> in Crawley. Called Barry. Right. I didn't find him. I didn't find him. Uh, it. No. it might not have even been a drone. But um, they are. Yeah. So you, you can't fly near an airport. You can't fly near a, nu- near a nuclear reactor. Again, makes good sense. And mm. you, uh, you can't fly near a city, a populated area, a densely populated town. Um, there's a good mm. map, a good app called Drone Maps, and you can see like where you can and can't fly drones in Japan and anywhere in the world. And I highly recommend using that, lest you get arrested for flying a drone somewhere that you shouldn't. But uh, other than that, Japan's amazing, pretty good with it. There's an amazing um, scene in one of my favourite films, La Hain, uh, which is mm. follows these three sort of kids who just hang out on the streets in uh, in Paris, and um, it's just you know. It's a, frequently harrowing but very funny as well Vincent Cassell's sort of breakout moment yeah where he's just a little rat boy <laughs> like <laughs> wrong and and uh it's really good really beautifully shot and there's a shot in that that I, I went to the cinema to see it again probably about six months ago and um it comes out of like a a window and it just mm. kind of keeps going like just has floating around and it's a bit herky-jerky and a bit janky and stuff right. but I mean this is 1994 and oh, so wow. that would have been like a proper little mini helicopter gyrocopter jobby. Yeah. Um yeah, yeah. and 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 it, that those kind of shots weren't sort of done very often and obviously now it's you know you can do it. I could probably do it. <laughs> well, that's not going to too far Pete. That's too, too far. Pineapple man. Pineapple's in the <laughs> There's pineapple all over this all over the uh <laughs> all over the, the balancing drone. gyroscopes <laughs> in this drone. <laughs> oh good god. But they've this year uh, DJI the company that sort of run run the world of drones in many ways. They did mm. release the uh, the sort of VR headset drone. I can't remember what it's called. The DJI. Do you know what it's called? DJI. No. DJI VR. S- I'm going to s- speculate. Uh, something like that. <laughs> and uh, you wear a headset and fly it around. And uh, so it's like you're <laughs> floating around. Yeah, it must be really trippy. I don't want to do it. I watched a guy who was. I watched it from the perspective of the drone of him flying it around. I was, mm. FPV drone. Sorry, yeah, first person view drone, right? Mm. And he flew it around. And he wasn't thinking, and he flew it like around the house, under a tree, and then straight into his face, about thirty-five <laughs> miles an hour. His own face. That yeah. must have been very confusing because it you're looking at your own face. It must have been so weird. Yeah, out of body experience, isn't it? I mean, seriously, I, I want to get one just in front of it, but I know I'm going to crash it. So they must. So they must. So it can't be. It it wouldn't be responsive enough to transmit the data needed to move a little camera around on the thing. So it must just, it must be a 360 degree view or 180, whatever. And it just fires that video towards you to, to you. Uh, and then the computer sort of works out 
you know what point to be looking at the you know at that video feed effectively so it wouldn't it, you know what i mean it wouldn't mm. be moving a camera in the drone it would just be firing down one static 360 um camera view to you it's not a 360 sort of view. and stuff yes yeah, it's, it's right. still a standard still a standard camera angle like 24 millimeter i think but mm. yeah I, I, I there's so many people that are incredible at doing it now and can fly them like, there's so many great videos online. There was one with a bowling alley where someone flew a drone like across the car park in the front of a that bowling was insane. alley. That was insane. Along through the work. Skittles. And it's just like, how have you done it this? It was just a random bowling place as well. Yeah, like, yeah. it just Because it, it, it was just so good. It took the world by storm, um, which is fantastic. The, film ra- the filmmaker in me thinks brilliant. Greatest technology ever. The sort of worried, techno-futurist, paranoid figure in me is deeply worried by what drones can do. Like they're so fast, they're so quick at manoeuvring. When they're weaponized, these are going to be not to be trifled with. Like they're going to be very, very you put dangerous. Put a hammer on right? yours, mate. Have some respect. <laughs> you started it. You're the man who made the first gun. robot wars. The, <laughs> yeah. first, the first chapter in the history of killer drones. <laughs> good God! But that's a story for another day. Killer drones. Mm. But for the most part, drones are good, and Japan is a very good place to fly them. What with the beautiful scenery, mountains, and whatnot. Definitely do it. Uh, We'll be back in a moment, guys, with the fax machine and your stories. And we're back with the fax machine. What have we got this week from our listeners, Mr. Donaldson? Reese has got in touch. Hello, Reese. Hello, premium podcasters, says uh, Reese. Fellow Brit here, once it's safe, I intend to make up for the last year's lost time and spend a year on a working holiday visa in Japan. Wow, can you do that? Uh, rather than stick you in can. one place, however, I want to see Japan in all its forms and plan to live in 11 different cities for a month at a time. Wow. <laughs> um, that's going to be a lot of forms to fill in for new jobs that you're going to be doing. <laughs> <laughs> I wondered if y'all had any advice on uh, where would be good to spend a month. Any advice or input would be appreciated. Oh, that's a good question. And actually, so I came here on a working holiday in between uh, when I finished JET, the JET program. And I went back to the UK mm. for a little bit. Then I came back here in 2016. And I was on a working holiday for a year, trying to set up YouTube and do it full time. And my plan was to live in, you know, five or six cities and have mm. an adventure. But then I got in sent, I got to Sendai, and that just didn't happen. So <laughs> it's just it's a lot of effort. Although, they encourage it. When you apply for your working visa, working holiday visa uh, in the UK, you've got to write down like what you're going to do. And they prefer people that are constantly moving around because they don't want mm. you to settle down. So I did actually write right. in my plan, I'll move around a lot. I'll be everywhere. Just give me the damn working holiday visa. And they did. <laughs> but um, I'd say good place to spend a month. Kyoto, isn't it? It's got to be Kyoto. A city that I once loathed because I'd just seen the touristy bits. Uh, but actually, it's a very cool city. And from Kyoto, you can dive off to Osaka, you can go to Nara, you can go to Kobe, all within sort of 30, 40 minutes. In fact, maybe Osaka might be better because it's actually in between mm. all of those things. So, yeah, sorry, Osaka gets my vote. What about you, Pete? Yeah, I think uh, somewhere... I, I I do love Fukuoka. I think it's just uh, the best city in... in it's rapidly becoming my favourite city in uh, in Japan because um, the food's great, everyone's bloody lovely mm. um, and uh, really friendly. So, yeah, anywhere around there, the Kyushu sort of area. Yeah, and you get to Nagasaki, which is mm. one of my favorite. I love Nagasaki. Like we went on the last episode of Journey Across Japan, and you know most people don't get to go there because it is so damn remote. That whole sort mm. of uh, western side of Kyushu. But uh, yeah, Fukuoka is brilliant. And from Fukuoka, you've got lots of jumping off points to places like Tsushima. If you want to go mm. there, like the video game, isn't it? Although from <laughs> what I can tell, there's not a whole lot there. But well, maybe I'll go one yeah. day. Uh, Beppu. The biggest, mm. most spectacular hot spring resort in all of Japan. 
and uh, Kagoshima by bullet train. So you can go there, yeah. look at the volcano, and fly a, over it. Boat somewhere yeah. as well. Could you not get a boat to like get a boat? One of the some of the islands as well. <laughs> get a boat to some of the islands. Top tour yeah, guide. Exactly. Yeah. Nice one. True. Fukuoka um, and Osaka. We've got one here <laughs> from Anamitra. It says, "Hey Chris and Pete, just finished watching the final video of Journey Across Japan and the island orientated." Uh, island-oriented season of Journey Across Japan made me want more water-based exploits uh, through Japan. The scenery is absolutely stunning. So I was wondering, would it be feasible to make a series travelling across Japan by sea, perhaps even learning to sail a boat? Best regards, uh, or no metro. What do you make of that again? Chris, I would love to see you as (laughs) some kind of 19th century... Is it Bozen or Botswain? Kind of like, kind of just block <laughs> on a, a ship that's... Uh, I play a lot of Sea of Thieves, one of the very few video games I actually play. Uh, oh, and I'm useless. Is it even good? On a, a, yeah, it's fun. We should we should join up and uh, play, I love play a few rounds. It's, 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 uh, it's cross-platform and uh, oh. it's very popular. It seems I get in there and then... Um, the Dutch arrive. The Dutch are always arriving, and I'm always <laughs> we're always put under siege by a load of uh, troublesome, quarrelsome, chaotic uh, Dutchmen. <laughs> well, I love pirates, and I love Rare, the video game company. Mm. So I'll have to give it a look. But as for yeah, sailing yeah. boats, with uh, when we went to Yakushima on the first episode, there was another option. There's like three ways to get to Yakushima. You can fly, you can go by ferry, or you can go by like mm. an oil tanker or something and it's oh, like wow. <laughs> uh it's like a freight ship basically that goes every week or two and it's got no air conditioning it's got like a little room covered in just hot sticky Straw. floors <laughs> and yeah basically it's it's it looks pretty hardcore and that would be cool. kind of fun um yeah i don't know i've always thought about doing something like this we did go on the ferry but i think you just run the, the fun would run out very fast because it'd just be on a boat wouldn't it there's only so much you can see and do. So it sounds great on paper, but I think the reality is it's not as exciting as it sounds unless we literally get a fishing boat and just drive it around Japan, in which case we'd drown. There was a, I remember there was a, a ship that uh, some <clears throat> incels in Europe uh, mm. had uh, uh, had taken charge of or certainly rented out yeah. um and their 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 quest was to basically disrupt the uh libyan um refugee uh, rescue operations basically right you know, stopping people uh, leave, leaving libya yeah um and uh i think it was libya anyway um uh, they they had this video on youtube and i could not stop laughing at it because Every lad looked like they absolutely honked, absolutely stank, right. uh, and they were these like like German or Swedish fascists on this unlovable little frigate that they'd uh, managed to rent off a loser, and um, <laughs> they uh, and they all had like amazing gaming PCs with like satellite phone internet because they had to have the internet and they had to have right, their, right, yeah. their little video games and their pornography and stuff. But they um, but they and they, they just sat in these little cabins and and. None of them looked sea- like seafaring folk at all. Their cabins were chaotic. Their um, their sleeping uh, arrangements were disgusting, and it was just like, oh, gross. Anyway, the uh, I, I think the um, the engines broke down somewhere somewhere off the coast of uh, of Spain, and oh, uh, they had to be rescued. So yeah, go fuck yourself, lads. <laughs> so that's what I think it would be like. You gaming PC, <laughs> excellent broadband, a racist uh, on a boat, brilliant. A big racist on God. A boat. <laughs> I'm just don't, I just can't see like. your your sleeping arrangement would be any better than that to be quite frank. <laughs> it would not be better than that. It wouldn't right, be fun. Okay. I don't know. We'll we'll look into it. But I don't think we should get our hopes up about a board on. on a boat anytime soon. Board on a boat. 
No, yeah, him on a, a boat on a boat on a broad. No, no, <laughs> we got one from Rachel and Callum from Scotland. Over to you, Pete. Hey, Chris and Pete. Uh, I'm a huge lover of Japan, and my partner and I plan to visit for our engagement celebration in the future. However, I have a slight issue that I am worried about. I'm a wheelchair user. I'm thinking about the access to shops and restaurants, etc. Uh, trains seem like they'd be a nightmare as they're so busy. So my question is, what sort of disabled access is there in Japan? Do, do you think uh, someone like me would cope in such mm. a busy, bustling environment? Uh, much love. Rachel, Callum from Scotland. A lot of lifts. Uh, not, there's not a lot of provisions on the yeah. transport, but you could say that for any uh, major developed a country to their eternal shame try getting across london with even a broken leg on on, on crutches oh, it's a fucking nightmare yeah. um uh, so japan's about the same as that and the trains aren't always so busy that, that you wouldn't be able to sort of sort of pile on a little bit but uh yeah, yeah. i mean it's the taxis oh, as well i guess the taxi would be difficult because they they don't have wheelchair access do they i don't know about that i mean i, I actually think japan is better than the uk when it comes to disabled access these days i think that's one of the benefits mm. of the olympics the uh, ill-fated olympics uh japan did boost its infrastructure and disa- like disabled spaces and uh, access right. and yeah i think i when i think of every station i can think of in like the tokyo area they do all have mm. like wheelchair accessible platforms they do have wheelchair accessible toilets so i actually think uh japan does handle it pretty well the main thing you got to watch out for is as, as you said pete yeah the bustling crazy crowds of the stations but if mm. possible i would just try and find a taxi service that has wheelchair accessible ways of getting around and uh, that will get you around that issue but other than that yeah mm. japan's pretty well prepared for it though i'd, I'd like to think mm. that's it's pretty encouraging non-step but, buses are quite uh are quite popular as well aren't they once and, the, and, the, and the, like non-step buses like uh, as in like you know the buses kind of like go down ah oh, yes and little ramp comes out um, and this Shinkansen, the main the main sort of station, uh, Shinkansen's a very uh, a very wide oh, and big, and they've definitely got wheelchair access. I've seen that. Yeah, yeah. And, the to- and they've got the uh, decent toilets as well. Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, we know people often worry about toilets in Japan. Uh, was it last week we had a question about the squat toilets? Mm. I mean, they're not. I don't think they're disabled access friendly, but they're not friendly no. to anyone, least of all me. <laughs> uh, but again, they're. Uh, as we said last week, they're dying out. Yay. They're going... <laughs> squat toilets are disappearing along with the Hanko stamp. Yay, the 21st century. Let's bring... well, look, we are two, um, what you'd probably regard as um, occasionally freak, freak, occasionally um, able-bodied uh, gentlemen. Um, I think if you, um, if anyone's out there who, who has uh, gone across Japan or any part of uh, Tokyo and stuff in, in, in a chair, uh, let us know. Get in touch. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Always keen to hear your experiences and stories, guys. But uh, keep the stories, questions, comments coming in to abroadinjapanpodcast at gmail.com. We'll be back in the next few days to do all over again. But for now, guys, no matter where you might be, out in the big wide world, enjoy the rest of your week. Send me your ideas about the Abroad Japan video game. And we'll see you again on the Abroad Japan podcast. Bye for now. you got in your hand a post-it note it's a post-it note abroad in japan is a stack production and part of the acast creator network